Everyone? All I'm saying is Eliezer didn't clap just then. You didn't, you didn't clap, Elie. I saw you. I watched you. You made eye contact. You didn't clap. You don't want me to do well. It's fine. I'll take it personally. It's okay. Um, actually, I don't know where I'm going to stand. I'm just going to stand here because that seems a bit weird. I'm standing on that bit. Um, if you allow me, I'm just going to show you some um, amusing pictures before I start. It's not really relevant to what I'm talking on, but I think it's funny. I think it's called nice breaker. That's the word. Um, and these are, these are memes, right? Meme. Everyone seen that word before, memes? Right? It's not a meme People who call these things memes don't deserve to have phones, okay? And a meme is an image, a video, a piece of text, etc., typically humorous, of the humorous nature, uh, that's copied and spread rapidly by internet users. So if you're on Facebook or any sort of social media platform, normally you see things called memes. Some people call them memes. That is disgusting, right? It is a meme, meme. So let's have a look at some humorous Christian-related, yes? No, oh. physically makes me feel ill when I hear people mispronounce meme. So it's a noun. Let's have a look at some memes. Sharon, we'll put someone on. These are Christian-related memes, church-related. Is it not working? Is that a sign? That's <laughs> because I said meme It It hid. Okay, let's just... Uh, it's best be good now, do you know what I mean? You, you have to laugh now if we're waiting for technical issues to be resolved so we can... <laughs> yeah, the church. Here we go. When you're worshipping and remember you forgot deodorant. Would you want to put the next one on? Just me and nap after church. Please laugh more than this. You're not laughing enough. That is actually genuinely not my work after church. This is a... We just had an example of that just this very minute. We had an example of that. Yes, it is. Very appropriate. <laughs> yeah, I can relate to that. So Jesus loves you, evangelism. Keep going, go faster, because it's not good. There are people. Put them in the container, remove the pouch, place the vest over your head, wrap the strap around your waist, buckle, in the, buckle it in the front, pull to tighten. Once outside, pull down on the red tab to inflate the manually. That's Viv and Bob. Viv and Bob outside. We are coming through the cabin to make sure <laughs> that your seatbelt is securely fastened. Seatbacks and tray tables are in the upright and left position. All carrying items have been securely stowed, so nothing is blocking access to your main aisle. Bob asking the ladies to pray.
That's it. That's it. Let's have a round of applause because we got there in the end. <clears throat> that was more for you than it was for me or anything else because we, uh, we stuck with it. Okay. Um, Ashley's crying at the front here. She enjoyed it. Um, so uh, this morning I want to talk um, about Abraham um, and a bit about balance as well. So uh, balance and Abraham. And I want to read to you um, from Genesis 22, which is the story of Abraham and his son Isaac. Um, So that's Genesis 22, if you want to get your Bibles out and uh, read along with me. I'm reading from the NLT version. Um, Okay, so I'm just going to read the the whole chapter in sections. I'm being told to wait. And now I'm going to read the whole chapter in sections. Okay, um, so Genesis 22, it says, Sometime later, God tested Abraham's faith. Um, so in the previous chapter, um, Abraham had just gone through a series of things with another leader of another area. So he says, Sometime later, God tested Abraham's faith. Abraham, God called. Yes, he replied. Here I am. Take your son, your only son, yes, Isaac, who you love so much, and go to the land of Moriah. Moriah. How is that pronounced? Anyone know how that's pronounced? Moriah? It is Moriah. Moriah is from Lord of the Rings, isn't it? Yeah. Moriah. Go and sacrifice him as a burnt offering on, on one of the mountains, which I will show you. The next morning, Abraham got up early. He saddled his donkey and took two of his servants with him, along with his son Isaac. Then he chopped wood for a fire, um, for a fire for a burnt offering and set out for the place God had told him about. Let's just pause there very quickly. So that shows two things, um, just two quick things on there. So God asks um, Abraham to go and sacrifice his one and only son. Now, in, in previous chapters, I, Abraham does have another son called Ishmael, um, who he had with his concubine, uh, or one of his servants. Um, but Isaac is the only son that he had with his wife, who was going to be the descendant of his name and for his generations to come. So God talks about his only son, Isaac. So, and Abraham loves his son. Because before, he, he was, I think he was 100 years old when Isaac was born. And his wife was 90. Sarah was born, which was 90 when he was born. So Isaac was a promised gift to Abraham. And God promised him that he'd have a son. And in the Bible, he says, you're going to have a son. And Abraham like, laughs a little bit and says, but I'm 100 and my wife's 90. We ain't having kids. Um, but they have a son called Isaac, and he loves his son very much. So that's important to know. That was like a moment in Frozen, wasn't it? Just, um, so that's important to know. Um, and also, it's just the way the Bible talks about these things sometimes, we have to sit and take a look. Because God asked him to go and sacrifice his son as a burnt offering. All right? That's a little bit mental, isn't it? And what, what Abraham did the next day was he got up and he got the materials together and he went to the place that Jesus told him to go, uh, God told him to go to. So God was like, please go and sacrifice the, the most important thing in your life for me. And Abraham goes, okay. And he gets up and he goes to, goes, goes to set out to go to the mountain to sacrifice his son. So Abraham placed the wood for the burnt offering on Isaac's shoulders while he himself carried the fire and the knife. 
As the two of them walked on together, Isaac turned to Abraham and said, Father, and Abraham said, yes, my son. He said, we have the fire and the wood, the boy said, but where is the sheep for the burnt offering? And Abraham said, God will provide a sheep for the burnt offering, my son. And they both walked on together. So let's just pause there again. So that lets us know Isaac doesn't know that he's walking with his dad to go and be sacrificed. He's not aware of the fact that that is the plan. Right? He thinks he's going up there um, for sacrificing another animal. Okay? And it's also a bit funny. Not funny. It's also a bit strange. You see Isaac's even carrying the wood for the, for the sacrifice he's going to be sacrificed on. And he says to his dad, he's like, where is the animal? It's only like, you know, he must be on this big walk up a mountain. And he's realized, where's the animal we're going to sacrifice? So he asks his dad, and Abraham replies, and he says, God will provide the sheep. And I always thought when I read that, that Abraham says to his son, God will provide whatever it was needed for the sacrifice. I always thought that he was evading the question, or answering the question truthfully. I always thought it was a little bit of a, a lie, because I thought he was like, oh, God will provide. Really, he's going to sacrifice Isaac. So and you, and you can imagine that situation, just a child going, Father... Where's the sheep for the sacrifice? And then he's like, God will provide. It's a bit awkward, isn't it? A bit hot in here. <laughs> um, do you know what I mean? That's a bit of a strange situation. But actually, if you look at the God's promise for Isaac over Abraham's life, God promises great things for, for Isaac. He promises him to have, be a prince of 12. He wants all these amazing things. So God has already told Abraham that Isaac's going to fulfill an amazing destiny and be this amazing amazing descendant of Abraham's family. So actually, I think that's more of a statement of faith than anything else. And he's saying, God will provide. Not because he doesn't want to say, I'm going to sacrifice you, not an animal. But he's saying, God will provide because he knows that God is going to provide. He doesn't know why he's going up the mountain. He's not saying to God, why are you telling me to do this? What is the purpose? Before I set out and sacrifice the most important thing, you must explain to me the reason behind you asked me to do this. He doesn't say that. He just is obedient and follows the task that God has set out before him. So in faith, he replies to his son and he says, God will provide. So I don't think it is him trying to avoid the question. I think it's Abraham demonstrating his faith to his son. So when they arrived at the place where God had told him to go, Abraham built an altar and arranged the wood on it. The wood on it. Then he tied his son Isaac and laid him on the altar on top of the wood. This is all such a bizarre situation, isn't it? Like it doesn't give you the details about like Isaac froze and he started to sweat and he felt scared. It's nothing like that. It just tells you the facts. Abraham had to tie up his son and lay him on the altar. So he just walked with his son up this mountain. Him and his son built this offering, this sacrifice offering for God. And then he ties up his son and puts him on top of the offering. It's so bizarre. And, I, and I, the, if you actually watched it happen, it would be very surreal. You need to like, I don't want this to be like, we just talk about it like it's in the Bible. Imagine that happened. Imagine you were doing it or you watched someone doing it. It must be a traumatizing experience to have to tie up your son someone that you love, someone that you're meant to protect and look after, and put them on the altar. This is the most important thing in his life. His son is the most important thing in his life. And he ties him up on top of the wood, and Abram picked up the knife to kill his son as a sacrifice. So he would kill him and then burn him as an offering to God. 
At that moment, the angel of the Lord called to him from heaven, Abraham, Abraham. Yes, Abraham replied, here I am. Don't lay a hand on the boy, the angel said. Do not hurt him in any way, for now I know that you truly fear God. You have not withheld from me even your son, your only son. Then Abraham looked up and saw a ram caught by its horns in a thicket. So he took the ram and sacrificed it as a burnt offering in place of his son. Abraham named the place Yahweh Yireh, which means the Lord will provide. To this day, people still use that name as a proverb, on the mountain of the Lord it will be provided. Then the angel of the Lord called again to Abraham from heaven. This is what the Lord says, Because you have obeyed me and not withheld even your son, your only son, and it says, every time he says his son, it says your son, your only son. So even though you haven't withheld from me your son, your only son, I swear by my own name that I will certainly bless you. I will multiply your descendants beyond number, like the stars in the sky and the sand on the seashore. Your descendants will conquer the cities of their enemies, and through your descendants, all the nations of the earth will be blessed, all because you have obeyed me. So after that journey up the mountain, and he goes to sacrifice his son, he does, he does everything. He, he, it's, like, it's not like biting your nails where you kind of just do it without really thinking about it. He had to plan, put aside the materials, get servants to help carry up the wood and the fire for the burnt offering. He traveled to an area and climbed the mountain with his son. He then created an area to sacrifice his son, which his son would have helped build. Then he tied his son up and put him on the offering and went to get the knife to sacrifice him. He had to go out and be active in the task that God's, God's out to do. Like, can you imagine how difficult that would be? Like, on that, can you imagine how long that walk would have been? We were at, we were at a conference a few months ago, and this, um, Alan Hewitt was talking about this. And he talked about the journey to that mountain and how our lives sometimes are like that journey to go and see this thing that God's asked us to do. How long would that journey have been knowing that when he gets to the destination, he's going to sacrifice his son? And then as he goes to do it, and as he goes to, to heartfully fulfill the task that God's asked him to do, an angel stops him. And it shows that it was a test of his faith. And God um, saw that in that moment that Abraham was prepared to put his son above everything else. Abraham was prepared to put his son above, um, sorry, put God above everything else, including his son. Like the number one thing in Abraham's life was God. And remember Jill last week, we did that thing where we put uh, some things in our life that we're going to put on number one and we hang it, hung it on the cross. Things like work and family and relationships, those things we put on, on the cross as a piece of paper saying, this is a declaration that I'm putting God beyond these things. I'm putting God first in these things. So Abraham was prepared to put his son to sacrifice and kill him with his own hands because God had asked him to. And as a result, God blessed his family. He said he blessed his family. And he says he, in, in the Old Testament, it's all about, there's a lot of conquering cities and stuff and your enemies and conquering your enemies. But he says that the whole na- all the nations will be blessed as a result of, of Abraham's obedience. So if Abraham wasn't obedient to God's tasks that he had given him that day, then those things may not have happened. I want to read another, another quick passage um, which is Matthew 16, 21 to 23. That's Matthew 16, 21 to 23. 
I'll just give you a little bit of a moment to find that while I give you some context. So this is where Jesus is talking to his disciples at this point. And in the Bible, it says Jesus predicts his death, the little subtitles. And Jesus, um, and I know I've mentioned this a few times, but this is always on my heart as to how the enemy works sometimes in our lives and we don't realize it. So, so Jesus, so it says from 21, it says, From then on, Jesus began to tell his disciples plainly that it was necessary for him to go to Jerusalem and that he would suffer many terrible things at the hands of the elders, the leading priests, and the teachers of religious law. He would be killed, but on the third day, he'll be raised from the dead. But Peter took him aside and began to reprimand him. That is, Peter took Jesus aside and began to reprimand Jesus, the Son of God. Pretty brave. For saying such things. Peter said, heaven forbid, Lord, this will never happen to you. So Jesus told his disciples, I'm going to go to this place, and I'm going to suffer, I'm going to die and I'll come back to life after three days. And Peter's like, you're not going there. That's never going to happen. That's wrong. That's incorrect. You're not going to go and die and suffer. And Jesus turned to Peter and he said, get away from me, Satan. You are a dangerous trap to me. You are seeing things merely from a human point of view, not from God's. And like, I don't think that means that Peter was like possessed, right? And we often have this view of the devil or Satan being this horned devil or a roaring lion. It talks about the devil being a roaring lion in the Bible and all these things. And we think of this powerful creature that's evident when he's around and we, and we can see him working. And we often think about really obvious things in our life, like, um, like sins in our life, like different kinds of lust and, and, and murder and, and crime, all those kind of things. We think that devil was definitely behind those things. Those things are awful. But I think actually the devil is often in a lot of sneaky places as well. And it's often in your doubts and in your not sures. And in, did God really ask me to do that? Is that really what God wants me to do? And the devil likes to work in those things. And it says in this version, it talks about your nature. And I think often the enemy uses our nature to go against what we think. Because actually it was Jesus's, um, it was Jesus's calling to go and to suffer, and to die, and to come back to life. Without Jesus doing that, then we wouldn't be set free from sin. Yeah? So if Peter, if Peter had persuaded Jesus not to go, then we'll be living in a very different world from we're living now. And Jesus recognized that the enemy was using, Satan, um, using Peter's words at that exact moment, and he said, get behind me, Satan. Get away from me. He recognized that what Peter was saying was incorrect, and it was against what God what Jesus had to do in order to fulfill his call and why he came to this earth and to set us free. So, and Peter's not there like, he's a disciple. Do you know what I mean? Like, he's got some credibility behind him. He spent a lot of time with Jesus personally. He would have seen many miracles and seen many amazing things. And you wouldn't question that he would be a man of God. When we read the Bible, we often judge the disciples like we're better than them. But actually, we need to relate to the disciples because we so often get things wrong like they do. And when they say the wrong thing and Jesus reprimands them, if we were in their place, he'd be saying the same things to us about, you have little faith. Get behind me, Satan. Because if we had said that to him, he would have said the same thing because it wasn't necessarily Peter's words. He recognized Satan was using Peter's mouth to try and stop Jesus fulfilling his destiny. And the reason why I want to talk about that and bring that up is because if you look at Abraham and you think, wow, that's a man of faith, isn't it? 
Like, that is a man of faith. He saw many amazing things. But, oh, my goodness, he's not a balanced guy. His life is not even and balanced. He's not like, he doesn't take things in the middle road. He doesn't want to get things right all the time. He's not spending an hour here, two hours here, doing this thing which is, is important to do, you know, going to work to earn this much money and then doing this to make sure he's, make sure, you know, going home and make sure he spend this the right amount of time with his family and then spending enough time with God to still have a relationship with God and then still having enough time here to do this. He's not a balanced person. Because if you saw Abraham, if we saw Abraham doing what he did, or we saw someone we know take their son to be sacrificed, we'd be like, whoa, we'd lock him up. Yeah, straight away, we'd lock him up. We'd lock him up because we are in, the, in our society, we've got many years behind us in, in England, and we are completely balanced, as much as we can be. If you know someone who plays too many computer games, you think, you play too many computer games. You see someone who does too much exercise, you think, you do too much exercise. Someone who works too often, you say, you work too often. We all know what we should have. We have parameters and limits and balanced amount of time for different things in order to be a well-rounded individual who is proper and well and well put, put together and well looked after. And Abraham did not care about any of that in that situation. Like he put everything in his life and it, his son was the most important thing to him who he loved so much. His only son, he was prepared to put him to the side and allow God's will to take charge in his life. And I think that we so often mistake the, um, what we think is, um, the, you know, when God, I don't know, let me give you an example. Have anyone ever been in church or been anywhere and they felt like God's asked them to do something? And then you've managed to persuade yourself not to do it in your own head. Has anyone ever done that? Is that just me? Yeah? And we think, oh, well, if I stand up and say that, that's a bit weird. I shouldn't really say that. Well, if I sing, start singing that song right now in church, let's use church as an example, then really like, that's a bit awkward and I shouldn't really sing that because I might embarrass myself and I might look a bit strange and a little bit kooky. So I'm not going to sing that. Well, I don't really go and talk to that person or pray for that person because I don't want them to judge me thinking that I'm one of those weird Christians who's done that, you know, that, that, that prays to God and goes to church and is a Bible basher. I want to make sure that, you know, I'm a Christian, but not enough to invade into other people's lives and upset them because I want to be perceived as someone who's got it together. I don't want people to know too much that I'm not necessarily normal all the time. I want to be really balanced and even. I remember going out with my friends a few years ago, and, my, and I met some, I knew this guy for low, many years, right, about seven, seven years. And he introduced me to some of his friends, and then it came up that I was a Christian. And my friend stepped in, he said, oh, yeah, but don't worry. He's not one of those weird Christians. You don't, you don't really even know he's a Christian. And at the time, I was like, cool. Like, you know, that's cool. I'm not weird. But actually, is that the witness I want to be? He didn't even know I was a Christian, really. I didn't really talk about God enough. I didn't really act it enough in my life. What was I saying in front of him to make him think that? What was I doing? What wasn't I doing in front of him? If I'm called to be the salt and life of the earth, I'm called to make disciples, and a friend I've had for seven years who knows me really well doesn't really know I'm a Christian, what am I hiding from him to stop him seeing that part of my life, that massive part of my life? I wasn't shown to him because I wanted him to think I was normal. I wanted him to think that I was balanced. I was, you know, I had enough. He knew I had, I had God in my life. I was, I was a Christian, but just enough to be a well-rounded, spiritualized individual. 
what I mean? You get all those aspects in your life right, you get the right percentages, you do enough exercise, you eat the right food, you work hard, you spend time with your family, you spend enough time with God, you've got the whole trifecta, and you're a perfect person, and you're balanced, yeah? Is that just me that thinks that way sometimes? And I think actually that we're not meant to be balanced people. I don't think, God, like, if you look in the Bible and you look at Jesus in the Bible and you look at Abraham in the Bible, you look at the disciples in the Bible, you look at any figure in the Bible that had any sort of influence enough to be mentioned in the Bible, they were not balanced. They did things that were mental. Like Jesus was, it would, I've always said, it would be crazy to know Jesus. Actually imagine being with him and walking up to everyone on the street when he saw them and he was like, oh, God, go and spit in that person's eyes. Spit in their eyes, he did it. Go and pray for this person, he'll pray for them, do it. Go and speak in this area, I'll speak in this area, and he'll do it. And God would move in those areas, but he was constantly, constantly on the move. And like, it was only at 30 years old, we think, that he started his ministry. And in a few years, is jammed packed in the New Testament of the many, many miracles that Jesus did. And there's going to be many, many situations we don't know that Jesus did because they're not in the Bible. But imagine being there. Imagine being Abraham and seeing him do it. It wouldn't feel like God's working necessarily. How many times would you have to doubt while you're tying up your son to sacrifice them? Is this the right thing? Is God really asking me to do this? Is, is God in my life on this situation? Imagine actually doing some of the things they do in the Bible and the callings in their life. Because when we get called to do things sometimes, we don't want to embarrass ourselves. Yeah? Is that... I've, I sing in the worship team, and there's been time, there's been so many times, in fact, where I felt God say, start singing this song, and it's a bit quiet. And I've gone, mm, that'd be awkward, because I might sing out of tune, and people might not know the words, and the lead singer might not pick up the song I'm singing, and they might just drown me out, and it'd be really awkward, and it'd be a really awkward moment where everyone doesn't really think, and then, and the next song starts, and I miss my moment. Because it's not my moment, it's God working through me's moment for other people to get impacted. And it says in the Bible when, when people step out and they, and they fulfill the task and the call that God has put on their life, that things happen. God moves. Entire nations were impacted because of the actions that Abraham took and the faith that he showed. Our entire life is saved because of the actions that Jesus took on the cross, the actions that the disciples took after Jesus died to make sure that they made disciples across different nations and set up churches and we could have understanding of the Bible and teaching and letters to look at and all these different things are happened because the disciples took action and did those things and people were being blessed as a result of it. And yet so many times in my life, and I know in your life here, sitting here, because I've seen God move in this room and there's so many times when God's speaking to us in here where we don't want to do it because it's too embarrassing, it's too inconvenient, it's too unbalancing of my life. I want to make sure that I have it all down together. I can't possibly serve at you on a Friday because that's my day where I do my own thing on a Friday. It doesn't matter if God wants me to do it. I want to spend my time having a takeaway on a Friday night. I can't possibly give that extra £10 because that £10 God is asking me to give is something that I use for my Starbucks on a Monday or whatever. There's so many times because I'm not the only one feeling God in this room. And there's times when I ignore him and I'm balanced. I'm pretty boring. Because there's times when I've stepped out and I've served God and I've seen God move. 
and I've seen people cry, and I've cried because I've seen God work through me. And it's not about me seeing that for my own glorification and me seeing that God's moving through me. Because what I want to see, what I want to see, and what the leadership team want to see, we are talking about this the other day, we want to see God moving through every single person's life. Like church growth is beyond numbers of people through the door. There's more important things than just numbers in the door because you can grow a church through people in the room experiencing and acting on the, the, the call that God puts in their life. Yeah? Because then you've got a whole, t- a whole church full of people on fire for God who their friends, when they get introduced to somebody, they say, oh yeah, he's a Christian. It's a little bit weird sometimes actually. He like, sometimes like prays for me, and it's a bit weird, but he's nice though. Or he, he doesn't actually swear. Do you know what? They didn't have sex before marriage. <laughs> what a loser. Virgin. Do you know what I mean? Like that's embarrassing for young people, admitting that in this day and age. Do you know what I mean? It is. It's embarrassing. Because it's not what everyone else is, not everyone else's view on what being balanced is. Do you know what I mean? So all I'm saying is, and what I felt God was saying, what Jill was speaking on last week, was putting God first. And I think it's, it's not enough to feel God speak to us in the meetings and go home and go, oh, I'll get 1% better at this thing. Why don't we be unbalanced and be mental and do what God asks us to do? I am not saying that if you follow God, he's going to tell you to sacrifice your child on a mountain. That only happened once in the Bible that I know of. Anyway, happened anywhere else? Anyone else want to chip in? More than once? Happened twice. Happened twice in the Bible. Okay, tension's going up. Sorry about that. Bad, bad illustration. It's very unlikely that God's going to do that. But we have to be prepared to not just be, like, having a good relationship with God is not about having, being blessed and being peaceful all the time and having things in our life we have to be willing to suffer for God. We have to be willing to sacrifice for God. We have to be willing to give our resources, our time, our effort, our emotion, our finances. We have to give to God. We have to be prepared for that. It's so much more than just what we can get from him. And I think that, um, and, I'm, and, I, and I'm saying this, I'm not standing here by any stretch of the imagination being some perfect person who goes around doing everything that God asked me to do, when he asked me to do it, and the reason why I'm speaking is because he speaks to me about this so regularly, and there's so many times when I realize that I've missed an opportunity to do something that God's asked me to do. And do you know what? This church at the moment, we are in a position where we need finances. We need money coming into the door so we can keep the doors open, that we can improve. Like, I don't want to... I don't think we should ever try and give to, to church to meet the need... We should be giving to church and relationship to God to fulfill the future calling that God has on this church. Do you know what I mean? Like, oh, if we all give this much, we'll we'll meet the number. I don't want to meet the number. I want to meet the future number so we can do the amazing things that God wants us to do. Like, there's, there's ministries in this church that need people to serve on them. There's like a youth team and the future generation of our church, of God's kingdom who come here every single week. There's like 15 young people come every single week. And we need people to come and help and serve. We need people to unbalance their lives a little bit and give that time they don't really want to give because they know that God's asked them to do it, to come and help us 
impact young people and disciple them and minister to them and see exciting things happen in their life because they're the future generation of church. They're the future generation of church. They're reaching kids in their own schools if they're coming to, coming to know God. We need people there. We need, on the weekday, there's people in this room right now being baptized in this room because of the ministries that go on during the week. And it kills me to see sometimes that there's sometimes we don't have enough either money or people to keep doing some ministries in the week, or we have enough, enough space to think, what, what ministry is sold out at the moment? There's a waiting list for it. Which one is it? Twiglets. Twiglets, there's a waiting list. And impact. There's two waiting lists. Because we haven't got enough eye space, and then we have the space, we have enough people to run those things. Like, that's mad. Why? That's so important. Because we're seeing the fruit of that. People in this room, and I made eye contact with some of you just now, have just come to this church because... And you've had a relationship with God because of the community groups that go on. So I'm just saying, like, can we stop being balanced, myself included? Can we stop being so concerned with being normal, with being cool, <laughs> hip? But, like, that person that it's okay, they're a Christian, but they won't talk to you about it. I don't want to be that person. I don't think we should be that peop- those people. And I think that God has given us a call, and I think God moves in this service, and we see him move. And I, I think there is so much more for all of our lives in this room. So, um, did the band want to come back up? I want us just to, to do some worship. Um, but I really want to ask in this moment, when we're worshiping in, in the next song, and I felt really um, convicted of this, about this last night when I was praying, that... If you have time to give, now is the time to come forward and say you want to, you want to help with some of the ministries here. Your relationship with God is more than just church on a Sunday, yeah? It's on your weekdays, on your week, whatever. But I think there are people in this room who are the right people to step up and do things. Give an example quickly. Things that need teams coming up is uh, Viv and I are going to be doing a prayer team to pray in the church services and also do prayer walks around the area so we can start spiritually claiming areas of, the, of, this, of this place for the kingdom. So if you want to be involved in the prayer team, come and speak to me. Um, if you want to help in some of the community groups in the week, can you go and speak to Bob and Elaine? And if you want to do something on youth, come and speak to me or come and speak to Astrid. And I'm not saying that because I want people to serve because I want people to serve and help us with the things we're doing. I think I'm doing that because this is our calling, this is our chance on earth to be a little bit unbalanced and be a little bit mental. And like, serving is not mental. I mean, Astrid did a, a thing where she looked at her phone time and it was like, and we did a life group and people spend, I think, what was it, like 30 hours a week to 40 hours a week. The averaging was about, went from 20 to 30 something hours a week on their phone. It was almost a day of phone time in a week to get into your mobile device. Mental. Talking about like an hour or two a week to serve the community and serve God. So, that's not a telling off. I'm saying this quite passionately, I know. But we're all in this family together. We're all serving God together. We're all learning. Believe me, I'm learning. And I'm accountable to people to help me learn more. But let's 
Let's step out. Let's be unbalanced. Let's come forward for prayer. If you want prayer and you feel like you need someone to pray for you, come forward and we'll pray for you. If you have a word for God, come forward and whisper in the leader's ear and say, I think I need to say this because I think God's asked me to say this thing. How many times have we seen God move in the services because someone steps forward and shares a word that God's given them? Just like earlier on. So let's stand up. Let's worship.